Hey everyone, welcome back to Navigating Netflix Originals. As always, I'm Madison, and as always, I'm joined by Jamie. That's me. It is. <laughs> um, so welcome back to our podcast. I'm not sure when the last time we uploaded was, but it might have been a couple of weeks ago by this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. We are working on trying to have a better ske- recording schedule, but um, now that... Jamie's back teaching again for the semester. You know, we can't make any promises. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But since you're here today, we figured we'd talk about something. So we've decided to discuss the Netflix original series called Explained. And it's where it's three seasons at this point, well over 30 or 40 episodes. Um, and each episode's like 20-ish minutes long, and they kind of just discuss in detail one random topic. Um, so we've picked from the three seasons, we've picked five different random topics that seemed like they would be the most fun to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll say from the beginning, we were discussing from season one, the topics, the female orgasm and weed. Mm-hmm. From season two, the future of meat. And from season three, sugar and chess. Yes. So, yes. Well, should we just dive straight into season one? Sure. And I, th- I think that weed actually aired before the female orgasm, but I watched them in the wrong order. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's just start with the female orgasm. <laughs> okay. The female orgasm. Yes. So we definitely looted men for centuries apparently so yeah yeah um the thing that i the one thing i really liked about this is that they had that statistic of like how many like the percentage of women who orgasm in a heterosexual relationship versus um in a same-sex relationship and i was like this should just be a given like of course that's gonna be the case i feel like that would also be the case well, I mean, the percentage of men who said that they would have an orgasm with sexual intercourse each time was pretty high to begin with, even in a straight relationship. But I imagine, like, in a gay relationship, it would be even higher because you just know your own body better than you know somebody else. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, and I, you know, they make this very clear, but, like, it's not a surprise either that, you know, men tend to have higher percentages of orgasms in general as well because. You know, as we learned, it's it's much easier for, you know, men to orgasm than women in most cases, um, especially if there's not like that open communication and things like that. But right. But yeah, I heard they didn't give this analogy in, in this um, episode, but I've heard the analogy before that men are like a microwave and women are like a crockpot. Oh, <laughs> nice. That, that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they, they do a lot of, um, discussion about the female orgasm and a lot of like, it's not, they're not putting the blame entirely on men for why like women have, you know, issues orgasming. Sometimes they do talk about other like social aspects, like social cultural aspects that like women are never taught that they can have an orgasm. Like you learn in health class in high school that men have an orgasm and that is how babies are produced so it's kind of just like expected that during sex that happens right but it's never mentioned that like and, and you're told like i'm sure as the man you're you know like even before you've done it that that is like a pleasurable experience in addition to also being able to create babies but like women aren't taught that that's something that they should ever expect to have happen during sex um because you know it doesn't make babies so i guess it's not important in a health class right I, I was trying to think of like back in the day when we took health I can't, I don't remember anything about like the male side of that being marketed as pleasurable either, although I can't remember because that was many a moon ago. But I knew, I feel like we were also just presented with this idea of like, you know, the guy ejaculates, whatever that means, and then a baby (laughs) is formed, you know? Oh Um, man, I don't remember learning anything in middle school health. Besides, like, random facts about lacrosse, because I think that was all the teacher actually talked about. She was, like, the lacrosse coach and just would talk about lacrosse all the time. Yeah. Well, that was my middle school health class in a nutshell. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I was trying to think about that because I know at one point in middle school during like home ec, um, which dates us because we were still yes. around when home ec was around, is right. we watched like, you know, sort of like the birth video in that, I think, at one point. Yeah. And then we had a separate health, like one or two day thing that was in that in that room in one of the, in those classrooms like uh, just off the uh lunchroom like whatever those oh, yeah. were yeah and then we definitely had like a semester of health or half a year of health in high school i yes. cannot remember a single detail from that which <laughs> cannot be a good thing <laughs> My health teacher in high school was Mrs. Dowd. Oh. If you can imagine um, how ridiculous our health class was mm -hmm. <laughs> based off of that information. Did you learn um, about I, the female orgasm in that one? No, I remember doing mm -hmm. a very graphic PowerPoint on some STD, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that they focus on is, like, these STDs, but it's, like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, health education in the united states is hugely yeah. problematic um in multiple and, ways in multiple ways and also i remember specifically in middle school i don't know if this is the case for high school but you like i think you either needed parent permission or you could get parent permission to opt out so it's like you're opting yeah. your child out of learning about themselves and their bodies and like you know basic yeah. human things is very backwards and small town christian stuff well, I mean, that is where we go. <laughs> <laughs> so if the shoe fits. Right, true. But, um, yeah, I do remember, I think that you had to have parent permission because I remember, like, having to get, like, my mom's permission to take health. She mm. let me. Yeah. I'm not sure that it really made any difference. <laughs> <laughs> right. Either Whether or way. not you learned nothing, so it didn't really matter. Right. <laughs> but I don't way. think in high school was optional i think you did have to take a half a year of health in high school and it was mandatory yeah but i also feel like by high school you've just learned in other ways what sex is for the most part so they didn't have to spend a lot of time teaching you that right and we spent more time just like talking about std yeah that's true well that's the same <laughs> same thing with like masturbation stuff i feel like at least for guys you hear about what that is before you you know before you would even take a health class i would assume i don't know if Maybe. girls talked about masturbation before health or not but remember talking about masturbation with any friends at all. <laughs> like not until college did i start having conversations with friends about masturbation and yeah. it was probably you <laughs> probably so I liked in the video when they finally turned to like the last aspect of exploring orgasm or whatever. And it's like masturbation in like colorful letters and like triumphant music was playing. And I was like, yeah. this is so silly. But, yes. um, but it's true that if you don't know, like, you know, they made it an important point that like, if you don't know what you like, it's hard to expect someone else to know how to That's please good. you. That's very true. I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine mm. that went similarly to that recently. Um, and that was pretty much what I told her. Like, if you're, if you don't know what you like, like, how can you tell somebody else to do it? Right. <laughs> like, he's certainly not going to be able to figure it out. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. So <laughs> you have to figure it out yourself beforehand. <laughs> right. And as we learned in the in uh, explained, you know, there is no magic button that works for all women. So, you know, even yes. if he has a technique that may have worked in the past, like, there's no guarantee that that's going to do anything for her. You know. Well, and there's like a fifty percent chance that she was faking it anyway, according to the statistic. Whoever he did his sneak <laughs> on in the past, so he doesn't really know if his technique worked either. That's true. That is a statistic that I found very interesting about, like the percentage of orgasm um, of people that orgasmed on the at the first encounter, and women was like eleven percent, and I was still yeah. surprised that men was even thirty one percent. I was like, oh. <laughs> that's very low so is it just like 
is it a i wonder if the situation was like you got like they just fooled around a little bit and didn't really like you know bother reaching the end or is that a case where men too are like feigning orgasm just to like be done with the awkward experience or what imagine that i imagine (laughs) like if you if you say like have an orgasm with your first sexual experience with somebody like sexual experience doesn't necessarily mean like having sexual intercourse you know like it could mean a lot of different things and that you know might not necessarily organically lead to an orgasm (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that would be my guess as to why this the percentage was so low starting off because like it, it goes up quickly like if you have more than one encounter with this person if you start right. dating them and enter into a relationship the percentage like goes up considerably especially for men women only hit like 60 percent, i think is their high but yeah men got into the 90s <laughs> as they would but, yes <laughs> i did like in this explain series as well they talk about the, the mythical G-spot, which yeah. was almost named the Whipple Tickle. And <laughs> <laughs> I will forever be referring to the G-spot as the Whipple Tickle for yeah. the rest of my life because that's such a better name for it. I don't know why she didn't want that. <laughs> why yeah. she didn't want the G-spot named after her. Uh, but it's like this old lady who is the one who discovered it, I guess. Or didn't but, uh, because we don't really know it, you know. Yes. Well, and like, I like the way that she kind of explains it, like everybody's body grows differently. Like if you look at your hands and compare them to somebody else's hands, they look different. They're not the same hands. And like, that's the same with your vagina. (laughs) Like they're not all, they don't all look the same. So to expect that like the quote unquote whipple tickle would be (laughs) located in the same spot in every woman, the same distance in, like that's preposterous like uh, probably most women have a spot that is highly erotic but it's not going to be located where google tells you it will be necessarily (laughs) right well and we did learn too that the g-spot is part of is actually actually is part of clitoral orgasm right because the clitoris extends so far so well right like they show the diagram of it it basically looks like you can see like had the chromosome been an XY instead of an XX, you can actually see like the shape of the clitoris is basically like what uh, the penis would descend. And there's an area like two round areas for like the testicles and then like a long, longer narrow bit. And just the tip of it sticks out is all you can see. But like there's this whole thing internally. And so then they kind of conclude with like, well, all, there are no like vaginal orgasms. They're all clitoral orgasms because the clitoris is being stimulated all the way back up inside. Right. Which is very, very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and the whipple tickle. And the whipple tickle. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting just to learn that as, in general. And then, you know, going off from that they definitely talk about the historical aspect of things too and like what people like freud said about clitoral stimulation orgasms and like it's interesting to see how that has evolved you know from them him kind of like saying that if you're using clitoral stimulation as an adult you know you have basically mental problems and (laughs) and it causes hysteria and all these things um, to the point now yeah. where we're celebrating masturbation to such an extent that the sex toy industry is like a $15 billion industry. <laughs> oh my God, is it really? I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, like rolling off the whole Freud thing, it, they also mentioned that like the vast majority of re- literature and research done on the clitoris throughout history has been done by men right. who don't have one and can't experience what it's like to have one. So no wonder we don't know anything about it. Right. Exactly. And I like too that like we have this idea that during female orgasm there's a lot of like muscles t- muscle um I don't know if clenching is the right word. Contraction, Absolutely. they said. Um and yet we don't really know like what muscles or how they're contracting or any of that kind of information. Yeah. So it's kind of like we have, we've gained some knowledge about the female orgasm, but it still remains quite a mystery like overall. And it does seem to vary wildly from like woman to woman, both in Mm. like how it's achieved and the way that it feels because they did like a segment at the beginning of the episode 
where like women all described it and for some of them i was just like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah i i wasn't sure about everyone who was like it's like a blue butterfly i'm like excuse me i don't know what that <laughs> even means <laughs> Do you, do you become the blue butterfly? <laughs> Are you fighting the blue butterfly? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's just, yeah, that was an odd expose. <laughs> Maybe, like, that was what it was like when she was also on acid or something. <laughs> I mean, it could be, yeah, that would make more sense. On mushrooms. <clears throat> but, yeah. It, did you have any, any quotes from this episode? I think we should do the quotes episode by episode. Okay. Um, I only have I only have one um, it was from that comedian who started the podcast called How Come um, no, okay. and she said something like you know the worst thing that can happen is we all have an orgasm <laughs> <laughs> as they were a group of women I think mostly who were attempting to explore orgasm essentially for those yeah. who didn't watch the episode <laughs> yes <laughs> And um, I only had one as well, and it was by um, the in, the finder, the founder of the Whipple Tickle. Um, when you're search, when you're searching for something as the goal, you're going to miss a lot of pleasure along the way. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's true, <laughs> Doctor Doctor Whipple. Yes, Whipple Tickle. <laughs> yeah, that's um, pretty much the female orgasm episode. Yeah. Oh, except for. We did have, of course, the best part at the beginning, which was that uh, my favorite scene in all of the Friends series with Monica <laughs> saying seven. Well, seven. 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 <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much that. Yeah. If you're not a Friends fan, just leave. <laughs> Fair you understand that scene the monica seven scene i no longer want you here <laughs> i'm joking but go watch friends right now yeah at least that episode <laughs> or all of them <laughs> um so yeah so let's move on to the next episode um right. which is weed weed, weed yeah weed. lots of uh, veil like very interesting information about about weed in this that I yeah. didn't really know. But um, yeah. you may have been more aware. I didn't <laughs> learn much new. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really honest with you. I knew pretty much everything that they had said, other than I didn't realize the strong distinction between hemp and marijuana okay. um, and the fact that hemp does not have any um, THC in it at all. It has no ability to get you high, even though it's essentially the same plant and, you know, it can be used to make a lot of different things, fabrics and papers like that. I knew that, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that they were really like very different in that the one does not create, have the ability to create a high at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing I really, I, I knew just from what you told me is like the they spend a little bit of time talking about the importance between male and female plants and yes. basically how you need to keep the male plants away from the female plants. Yes. And that well, I that I knew from you. So I was like, ah, just like the female orgasm, the female pot plant <laughs> is better if the man is not around. <laughs> exactly. It flourishes. <laughs> yes, it really just comes to life. then. <laughs> No pun intended, but yes. Yeah. Well, they didn't. They don't go into a lot of detail about it. Um, but like basically, that well, I guess they sort of do. But like the buds on the female plants just continue to grow if they're not fertilized because they they and they continue to put out sticky THC infused resin to try and catch pollen. But if there's no pollen to be caught, they just continue to grow until they're these massively large buds that are mm. beautiful. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you don't want your men, but a cool thing that they didn't talk about is that when you do that with plants, usually, not always, but the female, if she, she gets like stressed out from not being fertilized basically, and she will, they have the ability to self pollinate themselves. Oh. So like the one like little spot on the bud will like put out a little pollen pouch and it will fertilize itself and create a seed. And those seeds, 99.9% .9 of the time will be female. So you can get like feminized seeds. Then if you're careful when you're picking everything apart and don't crush them, um, you can yeah. get feminized for the plants, um, which is a good alternative to cloning it because own plants are so fickle. Oh, okay. Good to know. In case you're interested in 
getting to, into growing it. It is legal in our state now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Do you, um, well, that's the thing that was interesting too, is they talk about, of course, the entire process of creating hybrid plants and how basically today's pot is like impossible to distinguish between sativa and indica because it's so like hyper blended. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes the thing that they kind of brought up in, in, you know, this was made in 2018 or 2017. I'm not sure, but it was, yeah, but it, they talk about the idea of naming conventions and how basically people determine if it's more indica or more sativa just based on smoking it. And so it's like so subjective. And then these labels basically mean nothing. So you're getting like, you know, pineapple express or like, I don't know, hello Dolly or whatever. And it's, (laughs) it could be anything. See, I knew, I knew that the naming like system for different strains was like just com- almost complete bullshit. Like unless you have a strain that you have like in a greenhouse or something and you know that it's never been pollinated by anything other than, you know, itself or you're cloning it, you don't know that you have a pure strain. Um, and so like, and basically like anybody who grows it could just be like, this is my strain and I've named it whatever. But right. <laughs> I guess I thought like the dispensaries and stuff that would label like, this is more a sativa or more of an indica strain had some way to like chemically back that up right <laughs> but apparently not <laughs> yeah it seems like the only place that they'd mentioned that had like the chemical backup like you know receipts um was that one uh, medical dispensary in the netherlands or i guess just medical marijuana in the netherlands in general because um they actually do like profiles like cabinoid profiles or whatever to see uh, what the breakdown is and so that it's so similar that they can actually you know uh, predict the properties of it right um, which is interesting but I wonder with pot becoming legal more and more across and like I wonder if we're going to reach a point of like medical marijuana um, standardization where they do do that or do you reckon that like that maybe that's just too much trouble for anyone to bother with I don't know Oh, it's hard to it's hard to tell because yeah. I feel like on one hand there's definitely there's definitely people out there who would be interested in in figuring it out. Um, yeah. even if just for you know, curiosity more than anything else. And and there are also the the sativa and the indica like the high effect you get from them is different. I've, I've, I have experienced both of them yeah. <laughs> and like what the sativa is known as the upper and indica is known as the downer. Like one kind of makes you very energetic and like wanting to do like something. And it usually in like a very tunnel vision, like focused on one task sort of way. And indica is more of like the sinking into the couch with a bag of potato chips kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, they are, and they describe them like the sativa ones as like very tall plants, upwards of like 10, 12, 14 feet with like very large, thick buds. And indica as like a shorter, bushier one that sends up lots of like smaller buds instead of a few bigger buds. And I've noticed when I have smoked from like a smaller, bushier plant that it is more of like a down, like downer, you know, it does feel more indica to me. But now I'm wondering if I'm just like thinking that because I know it's supposed to be right. the plant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll, have, I'll have to monitor that and report back. <laughs> yeah, definitely do. Um, but. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I think I like that in the episode, they brought up the fact that, like a lot of older smokers of pot complain about not being able to find anything mellow because yeah. the the things that are being produced now are more marketed towards the people who smoke heavily. And so then yeah. the TH, THC um, levels need to be higher, I guess. And it's just overall that seems like yeah. it could be um, creating a problem because they said something about like if THC is too high, it increases anxiety and paranoia, which yeah. is the opposite of what you intend what? or want when you're smoking pot. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm lucky because I I know exactly where mine yeah. is being home from. 
pulled from and the seeds and stuff that are used come from back in the a strain from back in the 70s that has just been around seeds forever in in my family yeah <laughs> so probably it is a lower thc content for the most part i mean there's been other stuff introduced throughout the years but it is you know a long hippie family line right <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> but, it, but like especially the the random seeds that we have that just like we, that just like will self-pollinate themselves and so you just have like a, essentially a clone seed of the, that same plant um and if you keep them all which my family always has <laughs> yeah um yeah so it could be a lower thc strain for that reason i've never bought any from a dispensary before because it just became legal in our state recently and there are no dispensaries <laughs> right yeah you'll have to <clears throat> try it out at some point just to see if it feels drastically different yeah, no, as soon as they're up and running, I plan to indulge. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get my tax dollars, too. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, I liked, too, that, like, in addition to, like, the labeling system and stuff, like, they talked about how it's hard to really, like, compare smoking pot to, say, drinking or doing whatever because there is no standardized quantity. Right. Like, we can't right. standardize a puff because, the, like, every type of pot is so vastly, like, different. So it's, like, how do you really gauge and determine, like, the long-term side effects of, like, daily use? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I guess my hope with the fact that it's now becoming more legal in a lot of places like places that were not able to get funding to do research and studies on it before yeah. will have a better chance of being able to do that um, because it's definitely something that we should be looking into what are the long-term effects right. of it because we we do know some, there, there have been small studies done, but like there haven't ever been a wide-scale study done of it because it's been illegal. <laughs> right, exactly. And I, I mean, we are at the point now that we hear a lot about the medicinal properties of marijuana. So like it can right. help with various like neurological diseases and like blah, blah, blah. But it's true that like, yeah, because we don't have those long-term studies, we don't know like, will it help with that, but cause an issue down the line if you're like, you know, regularly smoking it or. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. They talk about like the link between de like developing schizophrenia yeah. and uh, but that link is not confirmed in right. any way because we don't know if people who are more likely to develop, to develop schizophrenia are just also more likely to seek relief and illicit drugs and right. self-medicate <laughs> marijuana and alcohol and things like that. Or is smoking pot actually causing schizophrenia or is it just like causation doesn't equal... Cor correlation doesn't equal causation kind of situation right. or not we don't know because we haven't been able to or not we i'm not going to be a part of that study but <laughs> you know we, we have as a society haven't been able to like really study these things yet right. so hopefully that will happen yeah hopefully so but um yes and one other note that's not mentioned in here but since we were just discussing the female orgasm i would like to point out that <laughs> we can also be a very good facilitator for that oh there you go anybody out there wanting to try that <laughs> good to know that's the through line with um each of these episodes the female orgasm yeah <laughs> the female <laughs> orgasm how it's linked to weed <laughs> <laughs> perfect um but um yeah, I yeah. Think it's I, much... I have one quote from okay. this episode. <laughs> it's um it's basically the process of producing a bunch of sexually frustrating <laughs> female pot plants. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing. Like, I... Yep. Yeah, that's the only quote I wrote down too. <laughs> it's like that <laughs> it sums it up. I mean, and that is basically like what's happening. The plant gets stressed out and just is like, Well, <laughs> there's not gonna be a man around to do this, I'm gonna have to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. If only women could reproduce that way. You know what I mean? All right. That would be so much easier. <laughs> um, maybe it's the equivalent of the female orgasm and the pot plant's just figuring it out for herself. Yeah. <laughs> must be. Oh, man. Well, yeah. <clears throat> so let's move on to a much more 
depressing topic. Yeah. Well, depressing, but also not great. Uh, the future <laughs> of meat, which is in season two. Yeah, the future of meat, where we learn right away that twenty-four thousand animals are killed every ten seconds for meat consumption. Which equals out to be about 75 billion animals a year, which is how many times more than people that we have on a planet? Like, everybody is eating, like, three or four animals, whole animals every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, not me. Yeah, it's just, like, it's a fascinating thing. And I like that they went into... so. They, a lot of times, if you're like going into vegetarianism or veganism or something like that, like a lot of the products that they have on the market are like, you know, soy products or whatever happen to be like fake, like trying to be meat stand-ins. And I like that they kind of like point out the fact that like, you know, that isn't necessarily just marketed towards someone who's vegetarian, but it's trying to get people who are meat eaters to maybe slowly switch over and explore other options like you know as with the impossible burger and the beyond burger and stuff like that that have been a little more successful um yeah i like that they talked about that and like you know going to the fact talking about how much better that alternative would be for the environment you know because we'd just be using like a fraction of the resources we're spending on animals to feed um so much like, and they even say, like, the amount of animals that are being consumed on this planet every year is just rapidly becoming so unsustainable. You know, the industrialized farm industry is the single greatest contributor to global warming on the planet, not just from methane emissions, but the fact that we are just cutting down rainforest all over the world to grow soy and corn to feed these animals. Like, there's just we're putting such a burden on the planet to continue killing at 24,000 animals every second um and it's just just not sustainable like and it's just gonna crash soon if we don't figure a way out of it right exactly and I I feel very passionately about this yeah no definitely well then it's just like it's you know I, I like that they made the point of saying that people get really like, like they stick their nose up a lot to, to fake or, or like, you know, pro- fake meats or whatever, because they're so like, quote, heavily processed and yeah. stuff like this. And it's like, I, your hot dog, please. <laughs> yeah, right. I like that, that first of all, but I like that they went into the fact that like nothing about like buying chicken, for example, is natural. Like the entire process, it's so processed. Like we have bred these chickens to not even be self, like they can't even move if they're not slaughtered within the first five months of their life. No, five weeks. They have to kill them with five weeks because they grow so large that they cannot support the weight of their breasts. Like their leg muscles don't grow fast enough to keep up with the breast muscles or breast tissue because it's just genetically modified to become these monsters basically yeah and i'm sorry but that is fucked beyond belief yeah like you're okay with eating that monstrosity that chameleon creature that we've created but and then they also talk about like how nothing people see in the supermarket the supermarket that's labeled meat looks anything like the animal that it came from you know like all of the identifying features have been completely cut off or it's just been you know mashed into mush and shoved into a pouch of some sort like doesn't you're completely separated from the fact that that's a cow or a pig or a chicken it doesn't look like the animal anymore and usually they don't even put pictures of the animals on packaging because they don't want to remind you that you know a cow had to die for this (laughs) Right. And I like that the, there was a guy who said something like, the moment you start to think of pork as a pig is the first step you take towards becoming a vegetarian. Oh, and it is. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, you just can't even swallow the meat in your mouth and you have to spit it out kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. So I like it. And that kind of goes, as you were saying, like, you know, we don't, we never mention, and they talked about the labeling thing too for this is, we never mention like pig or cow. It's always beef or pork. We don't have a second name for chicken, but some languages do. But it's like, you know, There's poultry. yeah, yeah, poultry. Yeah, there you go. But it's like we try to just mask it so much. Um, but at the end of the day, like a lot of people 
I don't know. It goes into like this image that we have and like the way that we're presented with meat, right? Because the they had a, a scene where they had like a real burger, a Beyond Burger, and an Impossible Burger, and they were feeding them right. to children. And so basically, a lot of them ended up cho- choosing one of the non-meat burgers as their favorite. And right. then like the moment that they heard that that was a plant-based burger, they were like, ew, I'm never eating that again. That's disgusting. And right. it's like, it's this idea that is shoved down our throats that anything that's not like from a, an animal can't be good and authentic, right. you know? Right. And also like, there's just this huge, I guess, stereotype that all, you know, vegan meat products are gross. You know, mm-hmm. if it's plant-based, it just tastes gross. Don't even try it kind of thing. And it's like, they don't taste gross, but no, they don't taste like meat. A lot of the right. meat placements exist, yeah, mm-hmm. that exist right now popularly in grocery stores. They don't taste anything like meat, no. but that doesn't mean they taste bad. It just means they have, you know, they're, they're a good thing you can put on a sandwich or on a bun or something and, and it still tastes good. It just doesn't taste like meat. Stop looking for plants to taste like meat. Right. <laughs> it's not that's the whole point (laughs) right but of course you know the in order to reduce the production of meat um we ultimately need to find something that is a pseudo that does remind people of meat because we learned that like people just like the it's like it's like the the, that specific taste that draws people to meat and that they would quote miss out on if they're not having it and what i found fascinating is that like that taste can be boiled down to the presence of heme iron which is only found in animal blood and i was like wow that's really interesting it's it's basically like the way animal blood reacts with the iron in Mm. it and it more like our bodies can absorb the iron better after it's been broken down within like another animal's body um so you can't get that heme iron from anything like in a plant the way you can get iron from a plant but you can't get heme iron from a plant because it actually comes like within the animal's blood right it's fascinating um and they talk a lot about like the plant-based meat alternatives but like i think and my my husband agrees with me on this that the real future for meat is lab-grown meat which they talk in this episode as well and creeps me out so much (laughs) (laughs) but i do think like there's they do a lot of interviews with people and they ask like would you ever be interested in trying lab-grown meat and people are like ew no like gross but if it comes to where a lab-grown hamburger is you know 6.99 a pound and the real you know farm raised hamburger is 30.99 a pound because we don't have industrialized farms anymore because we had to get rid of them right. but you can still buy cheap lab grown meat like most people are just going to be like well it's better than you know paying an obnoxious amount for the actual like organic farm raised cows that still exist but for like the elite rich market <laughs> right well and the fact of the matter is that like yeah, w- people will buy whatever's cheapest because that's what we do now. Right. Like, if you want a nice organic meat, it's ex- it's too expensive for, like, everyday consumption, essentially, for right. most people. So it's like, and, you know, as they were saying, you know, they, they're calling it, like, lab-grown currently, but that's because pretty much everything that we've developed starts in the lab, you know? Right. Like, he was saying, like, that one guy was saying, like, applesauce, for example, is a lab, you know, lab-based right. creation. Everything yeah and then slowly it'll become it'll be sent off to a processing facility or whatever so i i think that too yeah i guess like they were saying that the they just need to figure out a better way of sourcing materials because like currently they just use like what is it like fetal bovine serum like from the heart of unborn cows or something right i can't they need way to something that it can grow in that's not that preferable to <laughs> yeah um but they, he said something like oh we're we're probably still 10 years away from really perfecting this and i'm like 10 years like that's not that long you no. know i i can absolutely see lab grown meat being a very prevalent thing on the market you know by the end of the next 10 years yeah. um and just because it's over the next 10 years, climate change is going to get so bad that we're going to have to abandon a lot of industrialized farming and people don't want to stop eating meat, obviously. 
So they're going to willingly switch over to the cheaper lab-grown meat option. <laughs> right. And, you know, once we get a couple generations in, like, there won't be as much, like, sticking your nose up to the concept because it'll no. just become normal. Like, yeah. of course it was grown in a lab. Like, where right. else would it be? <laughs> it will be learning in history school, or in history school, in regular school, in history <laughs> class. How <laughs> uh, oh, industrialized farming almost killed the planet. Now we eat lab-grown meat. <laughs> right. Oh, we need a, a whole school just devoted to history. I think that everybody has to go through is a mandatory part of life. But <laughs> definitely, and a refresher every like five years. Yes. Yeah. What have What have we learned in the past five years? What mistakes have you repeated? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's pretty much all I have to say about that, but definitely interesting. And I'll be interested to see where I guess in the next eight years or however long. um... My, my husband is very excited for lab grown meat because he doesn't eat (laughs) regular meat right now, just mostly for like humane reasons. Um, But he has no problem like with the idea of eating lab grown meat. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that I would just switch back to eating meat at this point, even if it was grown on the lab, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess if it's, (laughs) if they find a more like, yeah, if it's, I guess whatever they do, it'll be more humane than like torturing thousands of animals. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much there, there is not a worse option than what we're doing now. So anything has to be better. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, yeah. Did you have any quotes from that episode? Um, I'd have one, but I kind of already said it. Okay. It was just, um, eating animals is no longer involved. Wait, sorry. Eating animals no longer involves seeing anything that looks like an animal. Yeah. And I kind of said that already, but yeah. But yeah. What about you? No, I didn't have anything. All right. Well, then let's move on to the next food item, (laughs) which is chess. Or no, sorry, which is sugar. Sugar. Chess is next. Chess is also not a food item. (laughs) I mean, food for the soul, maybe. I mean, that that might be true. Food for the brain. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess the through line between the future of me and sugar is that this also talks a lot about lab grown or lab created (laughs) sugar supplements. Holy shit, so many drug researchers spend a lot of time licking their fingers in the <laughs> lab during experiments. That seems like every artificial sweetener was discovered because some dumb white man licked his fingers during an experiment in the lab. I know. I, I'm assuming this was before the time of like popularized rubber gloves and stuff, but... um, Why are you licking? your hands during a science experiment <laughs> yeah well i feel like someone was like they were either eating something afterwards or they just like and didn't wash their hands or they were smoking a cigarette and like their lips touched their- i'm like yeah this is too much like i, I don't none know of, none of these are acceptable excuses <laughs> no they're not at all and i like how the the one like interviewer brings that up and like the woman just starts laughing she's like not like- today <laughs> How many scientists have died because they right. like, their history experiments and it was just poison and it killed them and that's how we discovered arsenic? You know? Right, right. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, we didn't we didn't learn that one, but but anyways, no, <laughs> yes, a lot, of, a lot of and well, even just sugar itself is like what we think of as like table white table sugar is so refined. It looks nothing like the sugar cane that it came from. It's just like heavily processed and heavily refined powder extracts (laughs) yeah well it's like it's the thing about this episode is that it kind of it's once again like this idea that yes these things have been around for a long time so like splenda or other or um asparta aspartame for example or something else those have been around for a long time and yet like we don't really it's another thing that we don't really know the long-term effect on humans, essentially, it seems. Right. You know, so it's like we have all of these things and, like, we we went through a phase where, like, um, aspartame, because it caused uh, tumors in a mouse, we assumed it was bad for humans, but humans aren't mice. 
Um, and, you know, we don't have any of those long term things. So now I think towards the end of the episode, they were kind of like aspartame flavored beverages are healthier than sugar flavored beverages. And like, right. Well, yeah, they, they kind of like explain like the mouse that developed the tumors from aspartame was being fed right. like the amount of aspartame that would be equivalent to a human drinking several hundred cans yeah. of soda every day. And probably if you drank a hundred, several right. hundred cans of soda every day, you would develop tumors all over your body. So like the amount that the rat had been given was not in any way proportional to like what humans are consuming. Right. That too. Yeah. Is an yeah. essentially problematic part of that. Yeah. I mean, and I don't have like any problem with people using artificial sweeteners at all. Um, I just think that like there's a lot of drawbacks to them in the sense that they trick your body into thinking that you're getting something sweet and your yeah. body expects that sugar high and then when it doesn't get it you crave sugar even more and right. you just eating more sugar then because your body wants the real the real sugar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well and I and like yeah. I think the cool thing about this episode is that it showed us that, like, you know, well, sugar has been something that we've been consuming as humans for basically ever. Um, right. And that there, sugar by itself is not a problem for us. Like, regular sugar consumption is also fine. But it's just, like, the idea of overconsumption, right. which in the U.S. is so easy to do because... Like everything, every single thing has sugar in it now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I like the fact that they kind of explained, like we evolved to crave sugar yeah. because like as a nomad, you know, if you find a peach tree and you eat a peach, like that sugar is a, the fastest source of energy for your body. So stocking up on those peaches is like a really good thing to learn from an evolutionary standpoint right. but like the difference between eating a peach and eating just the extracted sugar from a peach is very different because the peach has all the fibrous materials around it that spike your blood sugar much more slowly and more gradually going up and going down um so it sustains you with energy for a lot longer where the initial sugar spike just goes up and you crash if you just consume the sugar Right. Um, which is not something we've had to deal with throughout evolution other than like the past couple hundred years. So our bodies haven't evolved to these sugar spikes that now exist yet. Right. You know, sometimes we talk about addictions to sugary foods, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of like very feasible, you know, that that's the, the case because, right. our you know, sugar act activates the same part of our brains as like sex and drugs and other sort of yeah. like behaviors that can become addictive. <laughs> Yes. So it is yeah. something we need in a way. And they, they kind of like analyze that too. And they show like the artificial sweeteners, while they taste sweet, they don't hit the reward centers of right. the brain the way that sugar does. And it seems like in order to get like to truly sad, like we can't trick our, our evolution, you know, it knows that this tastes sweet, but also we're not getting, you're not getting that sugar high from it. So you can't trick your, you don't get those, that dopamine reward feeling yeah. from from consuming the artificial sweetener the way you do from eating the sugar um so it seems that like you have to you have to pay for it you know like if yeah. you want the sugar you have to have the calories too kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah but um i did like the fact that they ended this by being like yeah it's not to say that we need to you know cut get rid of sugar completely you know like we just need to we need to not like cut out the essential consumption of sugar that we need to survive and while they're saying this they pair it over a scene of someone just like scooping a huge spoonful <laughs> of nutella out of the jar yeah. as, like essential consumption of sugar <laughs> i know i was like this is a strange <laughs> backdrop for this example maybe someone eating a peach or an apple would have been a better you know yeah <laughs> essential it's like, just a questionable giant. questionable editor's choice there. I mean, some of us might think that a giant spoonful of Nutella <laughs> is essential for consumption, but probably, probably not. not. Yeah. Oh man. But um yeah, I have I have one quote from this episode. Yep. And I think I pretty kind of already touched on it, but it said, Our bodies evolved for this compound in ways that are difficult to trick or hack. Yeah. That's a good one. I didn't have any. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs>
Um, so yeah, the moral of this is, you know, just don't eat a lot of sugar and don't eat a lot of artificial sweeteners. Just learn to like non-sweet foods and you'll be better. Yeah. And that might involve sort of making some things like, you know, uh, sauces and like, especially tomato sauce, my God, making that at home instead of (laughs) buying one from the store. That's just 40% sugar. I do make it at home all the way to the point where I grow and can my own tomatoes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you don't have to be that extreme, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't add any sugar to it when nice. we can them either. Just a teaspoon of salt. Very nice. All right. Shall we move on? Let's move on. To the last segment, which is chest. Yeah. And it's narrated by Dwight Schrute, a.k.a. Rain Wilson. Well, yeah. <laughs> Dwight. Yeah, so this one was especially interesting to me because my husband and I have getting into playing chess a lot recently. Um, we actually have, um, they mention in this podcast episode, they mention a book of like chess closing games, like chess chess end games that you can reference. And we have that book. And oh, you do? Pre- from it um already we're up to like well well into the 500s of how many games we've played and the way they set it up um is like it gives you a board layout and you're told you can checkmate the king in two moves and your your puzzle is to figure out what two moves do you make then to to checkmate the king um so it's getting us we're getting much better at end games (laughs) nice cool but yes it was a very interesting episode for me for that reason to learn all about chess yeah, I didn't know the the thing that I found interesting was just like the different, um, <clears throat> I guess, like eras of chess and how, yeah. you know, went through like romantic oh, like, and uh, all this hyper modernist and all this other stuff. Like, it's, it's curious yeah. to see how much it's changed. And and also that like it's only very recently that um, like grandmasters have been sprouting up from like a lot of random countries since it yeah. was like so dominated by russia essentially or the ussr for a while it it's a very like interesting game and it's it's the oldest known board game that exists and it has has changed throughout the years they mentioned like in the 1500s the queen was given a lot more um power she used to only be able to move as much as the king essentially and then she was given the ability to move a lot more than that basically um so she's like the most powerful piece in the game then. Um, but the thing I found most interesting about this episode was that world-class cl- chess players during a tournament can burn up to 6,000 yeah. calories a day just by thinking. Like, yeah. holy shit, I can't imagine what your brain would feel like by the end of that day. Oh, you've got to be exhausted. But I mean, like, you know, it's oh. it's like the processing speed that you... because. They were talking about how, like, a lot of champions or grandmasters, like, they just have the ability to recall, like, basically every game they've ever played. And so they just, like, you know, the, you know, all that's just flashing through their mind in a matter of seconds just to, like, be able to make the next move. It's crazy. I'll never be that good. (laughs) I feel like you might have had to start when you were, like, four to be that good. (laughs) And also, I would just have to have the desire to play chess for yeah. like 10 hours a day. Probably if I did that, you know, I could become that good, but I'm just not. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it that much, but it is a very interesting game because, and they talk about this as well, like there's essentially an incalculable number yeah. of board configurations. Like they describe it as more atoms than exist in the galaxy or the universe i think it was in the in the observable universe is what i wrote down like more atoms like that than exist in the observable universe which we can't even really calculate how many atoms that would be so probably the same game of chess has never been played twice unless it was done intentionally (laughs) right yeah no it's fascinating it is it's a very fun game for that reason because it's a game where Nothing is hidden. You know, it's not like cards where you're you're holding some, withholding some information from your opponent. Everything is on the board. You can see, you know, as as much as your opponent can. Um, and there's just there's just so many possibilities. Like once you're into a game of chess, especially in the middle game, like 
it, it can be like just stare at the board for five minutes before you try and figure, then before you actually make a move. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely it's definitely fascinating. I remember playing like a little bit back when I was like very young, but I knew I did know that during 2020 there was this boom. I think part of it is probably with the release of Queen's Gambit um, on Maybe. Netflix. We get but... up in that boom too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's just staying home looking for something to, you know, some way of entertaining yourself besides television because you can't go out and do anything. <laughs> right, true. <clears throat> but yeah, it's fascinating. I like too that they go into like the computers that were created to... Um, you know, essentially, like at first, just to try to beat humans, but then they found out basically pretty quickly that the <laughs> computers are very good. Um, right. They they can process way faster than a human brain can, and they can recall virtually everything that they've ever learned. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did like the they talked about um, the computer called Alpha Zero, which yeah was had had fewer overall options because it only played itself and did not have any external human knowledge. Right. I thought that was really a fascinating change instead of inputting like all of the possible, you know, everything that we've learned as humans about chess instead right. of putting all that information, letting it learn itself, which it and learned as much as us in like a matter of what did they say? Like six hours or something. I can't remember. <laughs> six days. <laughs> <laughs> And it was interesting because it said that, like, the computer's ultimate, like, play technique was kind of a blend of all the different um, mm -hmm. period strategies that have evolved, you know, throughout the past thousand years. It wasn't any one specifically, yeah. but just kind of like a blend of all the best possible techniques. Which is cool. So basically, the super chess player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool that it replicated those sort of phases of chess because then you're like right. wow that's really like it's almost as if like those were um meant to be or like inevitable really yeah well because they are all individually like good tactics you yeah. know being very offensive and tr attacking your opponent right away can be good if your opponent doesn't know how to counter that right <laughs> you yeah. know there's benefits to to everything you know that's it's incalculable <laughs> yeah you know an anecdote about chess that I... I don't know if you ever saw that one YouTube video. I think it was a Try a try Guys video, which is just for guys that used to be, work for BuzzFeed and, like, do silly yeah. things. But they, at one point, um, played four simultaneous games against a Grandmaster, blindfolded. Oh, jeez. And so he could recall, like, he knew... He would make one move and then hop to the next board and just continuously go around. And... Just the recall, not even without being like without being able to even see it, was so impressive that I'm like, that's got to take like a certain type of person to be able yeah. to actually do that, you know? I know they say like you know, oh anybody can get this good at playing chess, but I don't know that I believe that everybody's brain is built with like the processing power yeah. to be a grandmaster at chess. You know, <laughs> mine's not. <laughs> well, you know, you're young yet. Maybe you'll be a grandmaster one day. I feel like doesn't your brain peak in like your 20s or something? <laughs> I mean, it depends on how you're using it, I guess. No, I guess I guess we can hope that my brain didn't peak in the 20s. I feel like my brain is doing better now in my 30s than it ever was before in my life. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. That's yeah. not, I mean, we could talk about all of the games and special famous people, but I don't know if that's really oh, important. No. If you want to know all the different gambits and opening styles, just go research them yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even keep up with them. Like, I know, like, one opening, and if anybody does something to mess it up on the board, I'm instantly <laughs> screwed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's more, that's one more than I know, so you definitely yeah. beat me. Yeah, it's called the London opening. Ooh. I know. Fancy. I guess because if you set it up perfectly, it sort of looks like the tower, like the bridge in London, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <clears throat> cool. Any? Did you have yeah. any quotes from this episode? No, this is the only one I didn't have quotes from. Nice. Me neither. That's all right. Cool. It wasn't. It wasn't a quote-worthy episode. Just an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, it was. 
but yeah but, so that's like five I, episodes yeah yeah i feel like this the, these random topics um we try i tried to pick out ones that were as different from each other as, as you can get really but still be like interesting enough to have a conversation about um i feel like it gives kind of a good overview of what the whole series does you know it just takes a, a random topic and just explains it as much as you can in in 20 minutes and I don't know, that kind of series appeals to me. It might not to everybody, but I would I would recommend it overall. Yeah, it's definitely a good <laughs> series. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a good series to watch if you're just like, if you have like 20 to 25 minutes and you're like, well, I don't want to like watch another, get invested in another episode of like a continual series. It's a good one to just jump into. Um, and I think currently they're doing, season three is still having weekly releases. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, the season one, I think, was 20, it was 2018, 2019, and then 2021, they skipped 2020, obviously. And 2018 also has one about, it's called The Next Pandemic, and I almost wanted to watch that yeah. to see, like, accurate. Oh, accurate, yeah. Were, but I, we didn't do that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe in the future. That could be a podcast unto itself. <laughs> it could. It definitely could. But yeah, but so yeah. that is the... First epi- or first installment of the um, the non-specified explained series. Yes, we may discuss more in the future like this. Just pick out five more episodes that sound good and talk about them. Um, yeah. yeah, you can let us you can let us know if you like that idea by sending us an email at navigatingnetflixoriginals at gmail Or you can reach out to us on Twitter at NNO Podcast. We mixed up the closing. This we time. did. I was, I was like. Oop. Yeah. Changing it on that note thanks everyone for listening and uh we'll be back next time i guess bye, bye. <laughs> i almost said we'll see ya and i was like no we won't <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>